You're listening to Life, the Universe, and Everything Else. Today we're talking about... Behind the Curve! Life, the Universe, and Everything Else explores the intersection of science and society. If you have questions or comments about the show, or you'd like to suggest a topic, you can find us on Twitter or Facebook. Or send us an email at l-u-e-e-podcast at winnipegskeptics.com. Show notes and references can be found at l-u-e-e-podcast.com. My name is Ashley Noble, and I'll be your host this evening. With me today, I have Laura Creek Newman. Hi there. Jem Newman. Hello. And Lauren Bailey. Hi. So we uh, have been having a rough month around here, and we decided in advance that we were going to use that opportunity to watch a movie and talk about it in the grand tradition of L-U-E-E. So we decided to take none of your suggestions, because none of you sent any. (laughs) And harsh, A bunch of people told us we were wrong, but... uh, (laughs) Now they won't send us any ever. It's been a bad month, okay? Sorry, guys. But please, comments, suggestions... But yes, uh, I made a really embarrassing mistake uh, on last uh, last month's show, and I said that the liver was above the diaphragm. I don't know what I was thinking, or whether I was just reading something <laughs> I had written down wrong, or what happened there. The liver is definitely below the diaphragm. So uh, thank you for that correction. Yeah, I didn't catch that while I was editing either, which does not exactly bode well for the MCAT that I'm writing in August. <laughs> but uh, Andy uh, sent us in a correction, so uh, thanks for that, Andy. Um, arguably, uh, speaking of corrections, I also didn't do a fantastic job of answering the question, why are plants green? Sure, the answer is that chlorophyll is green, uh, and I went into a, uh, a long discussion of uh, chlorophyll and other uh, plant uh, photosynthetic pigments. So chlorophyll is green. And it does do a pretty good job of capturing a lot of the electromagnetic spectrum, uh, at least the visible parts of it. But the question is, wouldn't it be more efficient if the plant could absorb all of the light that came uh, its way? So plants have been at this whole photosynthesis thing for almost a billion years, uh, which is a lot of time for evolution to work its magic. So why aren't plants black. Interestingly, while the white light of the sun is made up of all the colors of the visible spectrum, the radiation from the sun uh, peaks around the blue-green portion of the spectrum, so it makes even less sense that plants would be reflecting away all of this green light, right, when green light is so abundant in the, uh, in the, the light from the sun. This is actually a question that I was planning to tackle last time, uh, but I didn't go into details because it would have, one, made my segment way longer than it already was. But also, two, like I mentioned, a bunch of the questions that I was talking about uh, or that I was <laughs> that I was considering talking about were ones that scientists don't actually know the answer to. And saying, I don't know, over and over again, uh, doesn't exactly make for great podcasting. But uh, it is good science. It is good science. Um, <laughs> since Andy brought this up, I might as well get into it. Uh, so why aren't plants black? Well, scientists don't know, but uh, there are some hypotheses. Uh, in the show notes, I'll link to a video from PBS Digital Studios discussing a few of these uh, hypotheses, but I'll give a brief sketch of a couple of them here. So, in many environments, when exposed to full sun, plants don't do so well, right? They can wither and die. Not all plants are uh, are made for full sun. They uh, can get sunburned. G- gardeners know this, right? Um 
And uh, when exposed to full sun, plants with darker leaves tend to overheat more. This damages them. That doesn't exactly make for great evolutionary fitness. You know, if you're if you're dying um, from having these darker leaves, you're absorbing uh, more radiation than you need. You're overheating. So one hypothesis is that chlorophyll strikes a good balance uh, between absorbing enough energy to keep the plant alive while also reflecting away enough energy to keep the plant from dying. As I discussed in the episode, other photosynthetic pigments do exist, and different organisms use different combinations of them. Some are used by plants, some are used by prokaryotes, some by both. Uh, one hypothesis is that there was a time when pigments other than chlorophyll were dominant, or the dominant organisms used photosynthetic pigments other than chlorophyll. So uh, halobacteria, for example, absorb mostly green light, but reflect blue and red light, which happens to be the wavelengths that plants, uh, green plants and algae uh, absorb the best. So in an environment dominated by these kind of organisms like halobacteria, green light would be more available because it's reflected by these other dominant organisms rather than gobbled up by all of their neighbors. So this would make plants and algae the scrappy underdogs in that ecosystem, and they could have hypothetically then uh, come to dominate thereafter. While some plants use other dark pigments to absorb more light, uh, modern plants are descended from organisms that predominantly used chlorophyll. In most environments, there isn't really a lot of selective pressure to develop a different pigment. So the most likely hypothesis is that everything else being equal, chlorophyll's good enough. Plants don't need to be black. So they stay green. Nature is messy. Not everyone is a goth. <laughs> I wish the whole planet was still purple, like there are some theories that it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Any other excruciating screw-ups that we made last month? Uh, not that I'm aware of so far. <laughs> no one has alerted <laughs> us to them yet, anyway. But please do if you find them. <laughs> I, I love adding little correction notes to our show notes. <laughs> and I love editing them, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> So what did we just watch? Behind the Curve. <laughs> um, a love story, a woodworking tutorial, <laughs> futuristic solar-powered motorcycle. Um, I thought that's it was what a we watched. Wasn't it a plug-in electric? Was it solar Maybe, powered? Maybe it wasn't was solar. It, it was definitely electric. Yeah, lots of conferences. A very supportive mum. <laughs> oh, yeah. such a supportive mum. So uh, what was this documentary, Ashlyn? So Behind the Curve is a documentary that sort of compared and contrasted two conferences that were going on at the same time-ish, and we looked into <laughs> several big-name flat earthers, or flurfers, apparently. Flurfers. Flurfers is apparently the name that they call themselves, which, okay, you get to label yourselves, that's cool. <laughs> well, that's what's on Urban Dictionary. I don't know if that's what they call themselves. It's <laughs> true, we didn't hear it in the movie. Um, F.E. is a term that they throw around quite a lot. And, and they have a hand signal. Holding your arm flat and level, as in the flat earth. Uh, so we open with an introduction uh, to Mark, who frequently wears a, a shirt that says, I am Mark Sargent. <laughs> also sometimes has a name tag on at the same time that says, says Mark. Mark yeah. <laughs> so Mark says that we are winning against science, and he is the, the prime flat earther. He is the mayor the of Flat Earth. Yeah, the king of the Flat Earth. Uh, 
who uh, at one point early in the film calls Neil deGrasse Tyson, he, he who shall must. not be named. Yes. <laughs> and I had a lot of complaints about Neil deGrasse Tyson, but yeah. the science is usually there. Maybe he not who so must not be named. Maybe yeah, don't he, touch he, your grad students, Neil, but yeah, yeah. still. Uh, he, he also is kind of the, the worst kind of nitpicker. <laughs> <laughs> and this comes from Jem. Yeah, no, I know. I'm, oh boy, I, I'm also the worst kind of nitpicker. <laughs> I'm intolerable. I don't know. Tell us about photosynthesis. <laughs> right from the get-go, we get kind of one of the prime arguments in the film, the argument for the Earth being flat, uh, which is a similar argument that is made actually by geocentrists. Early on in the Winnipeg Skeptics, uh, we had an influx of like hundreds of comments because Rochelle had made a post uh, she had gone to some geocentrist, uh, Robert Sungenis, who was talking at, uh, I think it was U of M. They'd rented a room, you know. <laughs> it's not actually a U of M lecture. And uh, she was <laughs> uh, uh, critical of what <laughs> Sungenis had to say. And a bunch of geocentrists came in to the comments. And the arguments overlap uh, to a large degree. So one of the huge arguments that was made here a couple times is that the Earth can't possibly be moving a million miles an hour because you don't feel anything. But this is, of course, for those, you know, who remember their high school physics, this is a misunderstanding of like what we feel when we feel motion. We don't actually feel velocity. What we feel is acceleration. We and the Earth share a common frame of reference. So when you throw a ball up into the air and it comes back down, it is moving relative to you and moving relative to the Earth. But the fact that the Earth is uh, spinning, it is rotating and revolving, uh, that doesn't cause the ball, as soon as it leaves your hand, to suddenly fly away toward the horizon because the Earth is spinning underneath it, right? Mm -hmm. In the same way that when you jump, you don't suddenly fly backward because the Earth spins underneath you. That'd be a cool way to travel, though. It would be a cool way to travel. But you might think, if you you know, if you know, don't have a lot of book learning uh, about physics, you might wonder why that is. And the reason is that you are moving along with the Earth. And by jumping, you are still moving along with the Earth. At the same pace. At the same pace. And so uh, you and the Earth are sharing a frame of reference. This is actually an example that was used in the film. If you're on a bus or in a car and you have a ball in your hand and you throw the ball up... You know, the car could be moving at... Uh, For some reason, he used the example of a bowl. I don't know why he... No, he said a ball. Yeah, I he said think ball. He definitely said a ball. Yeah. It's just an accent. <laughs> yeah. Well, my bad. I was wondering why he was throwing bowls around in the car. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was definitely a ball. <laughs> so so you're, you're traveling, you know, along at, you know, 100 kilometers an hour on the highway, and you throw a ball up into the air. The ball doesn't suddenly fly through your back windshield because... It is not moving at 100 kilometers per hour. It is moving along with you. So it, even though you throw it from your perspective straight up into the air from your frame of reference, an observer who is watching from the side of the road would see the ball move up into the air, but also continue moving forward at 100 kilometers per hour. Another sort of um, demonstration of this principle is when your car is accelerating to that 100 kilometers per hour, you feel yourself getting pressed back into your seat because you're feeling that acceleration. But as soon as you reach 100 kilometers per hour, if you close your eyes, you'll feel like a rumble because the car is moving up and down side to side a little bit. But you don't feel the motion of traveling forward. You're not continually pressed into your seat unless you are continually accelerating. And of course, you are continually accelerating downward, but... Uh, <laughs> this is not a physics lesson, Gem. <laughs> of course it is. I mean, we would sure feel it if the Earth suddenly stopped. 
Right. Well, yeah. yeah if, if some, if, if somehow the Earth suddenly stopped, we would all turn into jelly. <laughs> What if it just slowly decelerated? We'd That'd still be end exciting. Up no. I feel like like the car is yeah, the car's a good example, or anytime you've ever been on an airplane, you know the fact that when you take off, you're glued against your seat, but then once you're you know, once you're at cruising altitude, you can walk around, you can do all sorts of stuff. It's like you're not moving at all. Yeah, yeah. And you can a- look down and you see the clouds and everything. You can see the farmland passing underneath of you. You can see it going, but you're just like la da da, I can do some jumping jacks, walk backwards, forwards, you know, whatever. What kind Have of you plane ever are done you a on? Jumping jack in a plane? <laughs> no, but you could. <laughs> I'm not saying it would be pleasant. I'm just saying you could. <laughs> it's interesting. So we see Mark, uh, the protagonist of this film. <laughs> uh, Main character. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he doesn't do a lot of pro-tagging. Uh, but he does Mark a lot of self-tagging. Uh, he takes a lot of planes. And so <laughs> you'd think, like, he he is one of the many people who makes this argument um, that, you know, you don't feel the movement. But you don't feel the movement in a plane either so mm-hmm. uh, and right. that is a much better illustration because you're moving f- so much faster than a car well and apparently one of the r- ways that he was convinced about flat earth was because of planes flight and their paths. roots yeah uh, so he apparently watched flight paths for a several hours said, yeah, he, i think he said days at one point presumably <laughs> not continuously Continually, yeah and no plane ever went between for example south america and africa so the reason why this is relevant is because the flat earth model used by all of these flat earthers is that the north pole is actually the center of a disc plane, yeah. okay you know we're we're in terry pratchett land here uh and the north pole is at the center of the disc the south pole is actually not a single point it is the edge of the disc mm-hmm. so antarctica is uh an ice wall a 200 foot tall ice wall i yeah. don't know where they came up with that number they never explained they it. watched game of thrones you know <laughs> um claim didn't get made in this film but some of them do claim that the ice wall is patrolled by cia agents mm-hmm. to prevent you from yeah. getting over it you'll oh, get did, shot down did no, they mention no, they that, didn't in this say one? that no, okay um i've done some outside reading right yeah <laughs> and so the the reason you wouldn't according to mark and uh, a lot of these flurfers uh the reason you wouldn't expect to see planes flying between different locations in the southern hemisphere is that the southern hemisphere all of the continents are much farther apart than mm-hmm. they are in the northern hemisphere. So it would make no sense to go from the tip of South America to Africa. And in reality, it doesn't make a lot of sense because there aren't a ton of flights that go between those two places. And also it's over a lot of ocean, which is really dangerous. Mm-hmm. So uh, th- this is economies of scale at work, right? You know, you don't fly in between small remote locations that are less popular. Instead, you fly in between small remote locations and large centers and then large centers in between each other. That makes travel a lot more efficient if you look at any kind of distributed network that's the kind of pattern that you see well and and for various reasons you just don't take what seems like in quotation mark the most obvious path for things an example when we went to singapore we took a flight over the north pole 
to get to Hong Kong, I think it was. We went from Chicago to Hong Kong over the North Pole. Proof of the flat earth. Yeah. So when you think about it on a map, just thinking like a human being, you would think, well, to get to continent to continent, I would go from continent to continent. I wouldn't go from continent to continent over the pole. I would go around the middle, right? On the flat earth, it was the straightest line. Yeah. Just an extra factor. Planes need to take into account wind patterns and weather patterns and systems and things like that, too. So if weather patterns aren't accommodating in certain places, they change their flight routes. So again, it may not make sense to fly from the tip of South America to the tip of uh, Africa because of weather or something like that. So maybe it makes more sense that they have to go on a different trajectory. One of my favorite parts was immediately after that, yeah. they showed a physicist tracking a bunch of flight paths and just being like, where are you going, little buddy? <laughs> well, that one looks yeah. like it's going, it's going south. south. Yeah. That, and, and then she said, that that really wasn't a hard search at all. <laughs> so you, you do see these. They're, they're definitely less common. But they do happen. So you do you do see flights in between the uh, southern hemisphere uh, continents. Yeah, totally. But that's how they get you. <laughs> Those are, they're planted. Remember, Jim? Yeah. Right. But. But conspiracy theorists would would make the argument that, well, those are fake flights and those flights don't really exist. Well, at that point, like, why even bother making the argument that I looked at all of these flight trackers and none of these flights were happening? Because that argument is self-defeating if if your response to countervailing evidence is that, well, those flight trackers are are made up anyway. Yeah. Well, then your original evidence doesn't make any sense. Well, I think that was one of the big themes of the movie is that they, they kept asking folks, like, what? sort of evidence would change your mind and talking about how if nothing is falsifiable about your argument then there is no reason to have this discussion and debate and so they were switching between the perspectives of some scientists who had kind of given up on on having this debate and others who were saying like well if we if we don't interact with them then we're just pushing them further uh, to the fringes yeah and that's a, the the film was not endorsing uh, the conspiracy theory there were lots of scientists who were involved in it uh, too and it was i don't know how the rest of you felt but i really enjoyed this uh, this documentary mm-hmm. um it was quite compassionate and that was that was one of i think the best takeaways from it one of one of several very good takeaways which is to always ask yourself no matter what you believe what sort of evidence would convince you that you might be wrong mm-hmm. and they asked uh these people that uh, a few times and they actually uh, should we talk about some of the experiments that they that they did? Yeah, they proved the Earth was round like three times in this movie. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty good. So uh, yeah. one of the things that they did is they um, they spent twenty thousand dollars on a laser gyroscope, and this is a, this is a specific thing that Syngenis uh, brought up too. Thinking back, I think we talked about geocentrism in uh, like episode fifteen of this podcast. Yeah, like way, way back, back in so. the day. Yeah, they spent uh, twenty thousand dollars on a laser gyroscope that would allow them to detect and sort of prove that the Earth is not not uh, rotating uh, mm-hmm. because even within a the rotational reference frame you would be able to detect a drift that should be equal to about 15 degrees an hour uh, you know because 360 degrees divided by 24 is 15 and so oh yeah <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> they spent all this money on this gyroscope and they uh, they did the experiment 
And sure enough, they showed a drift of 15 degrees per hour, <laughs> uh, which is exactly what we would expect. But well, they, they, they decided, said, obviously, uh, we were taken aback. Uh, <laughs> so we started to look for things that could disprove it. <laughs> yeah. And they, they thought, well, maybe this is just the, the firmament, the sky. Yeah. The it, heaven yeah. energy. It's just <laughs> detecting that moving around. Yeah. It was, the gyroscope was picking up the rotation of the heavens. Yeah. And so they decided to try and isolate the gyroscope in various ways. And as of the recording of the documentary, they had not found a solution yet. No. <laughs> they had not yet found a way uh, in which they could not prove that the Earth was, yeah. was round. Yeah. Somehow bismuth was going to stop yeah, they it. Gonna, that. They were going to encase it in bismuth. Yeah. I'm not sure how or why that would help, but maybe it blocks the the heaven energies, and yeah. so that's the case. Nausea, I'm not clear on what having <laughs> <laughs> diarrhea. <laughs> so uh, one of the sound bites that we got when they were talking about uh, designing all of these experiments is, "Wow, I have a lot more respect for scientists now designing experiments." No, no, no. Is they hard. didn't say scientists. They uh, did no, not know for the right? people who do experiments. Who do, people who do experiments. Yeah, not this scientists. is a lot harder yeah. than I thought. My... They specifically did not mention science and scientists. Right. The implication was it is a lot harder to design the experiment such that you will get the the answer that you want which is actually uh something that you spend a lot of time trying not to do in science well you yeah. should yeah and the one guy my one of my favorite lines was the most surprising thing i've learned is that experiments are hard <laughs> yeah so and that's so interesting it, it, again it comes into that if you want to think back because as they mentioned many times Flat earthing, if you're going to accept flat earth, you pretty much have to accept every other conspiracy theory out there. It like is you the just, center of the web. It is the center like, of the like web, flat earth as, as one a, person as a gerund, said. Flat um, it just, so, so it comes back to that, you know, elitist, they're, you know, they're not actually doing anything. They're just hiding the truth from us kind of thing. So it's like, oh, it's not that hard to do this stuff. I can do it. And they're like, oh, actually, maybe these people know something I don't know. Well, and probably the last time that they had to design, quote unquote, any kind of experiment was in, you know, their 11th grade science class. When and they should have learned about inertial <laughs> reference frames and acceleration. I sure didn't. No, 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 because you learn that stuff in physics. You don't learn that in bio. Yeah, but, and but like, uh, I don't know. You, you science isn't in required physics? to nope. graduate no. from high oh, school. Right. Yeah, I was in All you were not required to take that. No, and I did not. Science is not required to graduate from high school, at least here. And when I graduated, it certainly wasn't. Mm -hmm. What kind of province is this? <laughs> you need a math. You need a grade 12 math and a grade 12 English, and you can graduate. I needed four math credits, five English credits, three science credits. Well, I mean, but that's like, in your whole high school career. Yeah, like, like, in or, in you have 12. to, and you have to have everything that leads up to this. So in order to get your grade 12 math, you have to have your grade 11 math and you have to have like everything leading up to it. But like in grade 12, you needed a math credit, a grade 12 level math credit and a grade 12 level English credit. Everything else is extra i like learning and i think that it's important i'm i'm not trying to be be snooty about no. you know my my no, interest in other science yeah you know. there's plenty of other learning sure but it serves a point i think correct me if i'm wrong that you're bringing up that like things are just not available to people or yeah. not required of it you know when when mm -hmm. my parents talk about what was required learning when they went to school back in the 60s like it is very different than what is required learning now. Well, so. and also I went to high school 23? Yes, you're old. 
years ago. So I have no idea what's required now. <laughs> they, they removed an entire grade since I left. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was not in high school in Ontario, so I never had grade 13. OAC. Right. At my time. Uh, one thing we did learn in this uh, documentary is that the heliocentric model is forced sun worship. Yes. Loved that. Yeah. Uh, so they're, uh, some of these people are really deep into their conspiracy theories, um, starting with the idea that nothing can be trusted. Mm-hmm. And yeah, a lot of them were claiming that, you know, uh, science worship nasa is doing human sacrifice and blood magic or blood rituals sorry i i think that's what the, the term that they used they um, really dislike nasa like everything nasa says is a lie obviously because if it were otherwise then their whole thing would be trash so they, they even went to the Space Museum in Houston at one point mm-hmm. and uh, just walked around yelling, the Earth is flat and uh, playing with the displays and being like, well, I think everything here is fake. And Well, it's Evan- a display. like <laughs> Evangelizing uh, to people like in parking lots. That was really Oh, yeah, that was very weird. Yeah. A few of them were like talking about, I don't know who's behind this, you know, the Rothschilds. Uh, some people say the Jews, the Vatican for sure. Oh, definitely like, the Vatican. It's weird how many conspiracy theories come down to the vatican it's any any group that is closed sort of secretive and has a lot of power a lot of power and money and centralized exactly and so they just it just shifts depending on oh yeah who you are and stuff like that but yeah like if protestantism had a a a body like (laughs) the vatican it would be right up there too we also saw uh you know this conspiratorial mindset um starting to cannibalize the groups themselves uh, there's this uh, one character in the film called uh, Patricia Steer who runs like an internet radio show and she is very close. Flat Earth and other hot potatoes. Flat Earth and other hot potatoes. Uh, she is close <laughs> with uh, Mark Sargent. There's a there's a will they won't they subplot uh, running throughout the film. Really um, long. Yeah, and if you like your conspiracy movies to have rom com subplots, this is the movie for you. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> well, there's romance and comedy, but they don't exactly go together like uh, peanut butter and chocolate in this uh, in this one. Uh, but she, you know, she is, you know, a darling of the movement at, at one point, but through a mixture of, uh, conspiracy monkering and, you know, just like basic misogyny, I'm mm-hmm. sure. Absolutely. Uh, segments of the movement are convinced that she is actually a CIA plant. One of the arguments that they use is that her name, Patricia, ends in CIA. And that is proof that she must be a CIA agent that <laughs> and, has been planted there. And she steers people. Towards the conspiracy. Right, yep. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> she said, would the CIA be that foolish or something like that? And we, through the center of the film, as she's observing these other people. Will she or won't she figure out that she is a conspiracy theorist? Yeah. Or no, conspiracy realist. Excuse me. That is the term oh, that she geez. prefers. You see it starting to dawn on her that the mindset that these people who are accusing her of being a CIA plant, that that mindset is rampant in the community. And, you know, how and, and she's talking about how there's no evidence that she can present that will convince these people that she's not a CIA plant. Mm-hmm. And you see the gears turning in her head, but yeah. she turns away from it. Well, yeah. she even she goes as door. far as saying like, well, and then I think maybe I am, maybe I have the same mindset, but no. 
But no, I'm not one of them. It's the natural process of change. Mm-hmm. I, I hope she'll get there because the gears have started turning. There are thoughts in her head. She sees that there is a different way of looking at things. But it's also uncomfortable and unsafe in some ways to leave it behind. So Yeah, and that's something that they hit on pretty hard near the end of the film with Mark Sargent. Uh, when, the, when he is keynoting this conference, there's some interviews with him backstage and they're they're talking about how um you know this community means so much to these people you know a lot of them have lost their kids lost their families a lot of them um are disconnected from from everyone you know and that's something that you see with cults i mean this isn't mm-hmm. exactly a cult but there are some parallels it's a cultic mindset yeah and you see like if some of these people changed their minds and stopped believing that the earth was flat they'd have nobody mhm they would lose everybody that they know and all of their community ties and all of their Facebook groups and everything. Yeah. And mm-hmm. Mark Sargent, like the, the mayor of mm-hmm. uh, this uh, of Flat Earthville, he would go from being a big shot to being nobody, mm-hmm. like to basically being a laughing stock in the real world and the, you know, in, in greater uh, the greater culture. So what's in it for him to leave this behind? Mm-hmm. And they basically ask him that at the end because they the whole time they've been comparing uh, the Flat Earth to the Truman Show and how, you know, Jim Carrey's character left as soon as he figured out what was going on because there was nothing for him in the bubble. But they asked Mark, like, well, you're basically the mayor. Well, because Mark brought up yeah. the, the point he, that yeah, the mayor- this is this is well, this is Mark's analogy, the whole Truman show. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But they asked him, like, well, you you wouldn't leave though, because you are the mayor and you have all of these things, all of the cronies and whatnot. And and they said, well, you know, you wouldn't leave, would you? And they just sort of faded to black after mm-hmm. that. You know, he, he didn't really have a good answer. And there, there were a couple points in the film where you see editing being used to, to make a point, and it's yeah. not clear. Uh, at one point, Mark's mother is asked if she believes in the flat earth, and she sort of hesitates and hems and haws, and there's a cutaway to Mark's reaction to this, and then cut back to her. Uh, and those sorts of cutaways, I don't know if they were actually using a two-camera setup or if that was a cut. They were they not inserted. using a two-camera setup in this. Um, yeah, no. I, I, I doubt it. You know, it's possible. Um, but th- those sorts of editing techniques are arguably deceptive. I mean, like, technically deceptive, I guess. Uh, it certainly is funny to see that insert shot of him uh, reacting, but who knows what he was actually reacting to. If we want to talk film, about though. narrative tension, we can have an entire podcast about these kind of editing tricks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, that might be that'd a good, be good one. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, his mom was just camp. a gem, though. Uh, she was so good in this film. She was just like, and not oh, a Jen yeah. Newman, an actual. No, so, somebody who's actually very kind and nice. <laughs> <laughs> a warm person. Yeah, she's just like so supportive and like, oh, yeah, I don't tell people what Mark gets up to, but, you know, he can do whatever he wants. <laughs> I want him to be happy and I want him to have, you know, a good life. Yeah. Such a mum. And I'll keep making him chicken noodle soup and his favorite applesauce dessert. Yeah. What was and Iced, iced applesauce? applesauce, which I can only imagine is like frozen applesauce. Yeah. So it's like a like an ice cream type thing. One thing that always strikes me with these sorts of uh, belief systems is how many people would have to be involved in the conspiracy. Like not only every single working scientist in, you know, um, like when do they sit you down and have the talk? Yeah. And, and what do they do if you say, hey, I'm going to make a lot of money by going public with this? Like, are there lots of scientists being murdered all the time to to keep them quiet? 
Maybe that's every, why Harper was silencing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, every single pilot um, would need to obviously see the actual globe in order to, or, sorry, the actual disc. <laughs> disc. Yeah. In order to fly the plane. Stanley Kubrick for faking the moon landing. Right. Yeah. Well, and it's like the uh, the meme says anybody who believes in conspiracy theories has never been a project manager because twelve people can't uh, <laughs> can't get it right. As Ben Franklin said, uh, three may keep a secret if two of them are dead. Yeah. <laughs> I want to talk about Jaronism. Okay. Jaron Campanella. He's the YouTube flat earther. Mm-hmm. And he was the one out on the lake holding up the things that was proven wrong at the end. And I know Ross and Carrie did a really good episode about this experiment out in the salt flats or wherever. Yeah, well, Link, Ross and Carrie did what, like an eight parter on yeah, flat Earth? Yeah, they, 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 they were actually present for, uh, for well, Ross some, was at some least, of this. Um, yeah, uh, so we'll link to, uh, Ross and Carrie on, the, in the show notes. Um, and also there's a couple of really good, uh, YouTube videos, um, debunking this stuff by H Bomber Guy and Philosophy Tube that, uh, I'll link to as well. But do not just search flat earth on no. youtube because mm-hmm. what you did will... they say there's over a million videos yeah. now only go to our links our links are the only ones you can trust <laughs> do not do your own research <laughs> i mean if you, you think jim believe... goes on really long tangents <laughs> you should hear these guys holy moly they just never shut up <laughs> and you don't want to fall asleep to them because it will just like get in there ross and carrie also did a quite a long interview with mark Sargent, and uh oh he just really talks a lot <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can see that. He just the more he talks, the more it builds that adrenaline rush for him and it just he just gets going on a tangent. So, an example of his ego was when they were talking about um like symbiotic creatures. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Patricia, I think, yeah, it was said Patricia. something about how, you know, there's there's the whales and the little creatures that live on them and, she and said clean the, them. The other fish. The yeah. other little fish, yeah. And uh and they were like the whale and the little creature because they had had each other on each other's shows and, you know, raised each other's profiles. And uh and Mark goes, Well I hope I'm the whale. <laughs> you just can't handle being the other part of this equal equation. That's yeah. really sad yeah it is really sad and this is a and th- this is a, a woman that he clearly has a thing for oh yeah yeah and, and real he bad. still says this yeah he wants to be the alpha male yeah i'm sure well, that's why he wears his name on his shirt so everybody <laughs> knows it sorry lauren you were gonna talk about the uh this experiment right or this this guy who's doing the, ex- the experiment well, jaron jaron yeah it was the final moments of the documentary he was it was good they proved that there was a curve to the earth Again. And all he can say is interesting. Mm-hmm. I was looking at, at a review of the movie Zonkora, uh, Glenn Rager, or Rager. So the, the film has, uh, has a 100% fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes, mm-hmm. but it, it, like, it has a, a 6.5 out of 10 on IMDb, uh, from user reviews. It, uh, it appears to have been brigaded by mm-hmm. Flat Earthers. Yeah. Yeah. Jaron did say that later after the film came out, he denied the results. Of course he did. Yeah. yeah. And that it didn't prove what they said it proved. Well, they didn't, did they, they didn't, didn't say, say it proved, proved anything. anything. They no, just show, right. they, yeah, it's one of those yeah. very nice documentaries yeah. where I think you hear two or three questions being asked at one point, but for the mm-hmm. rest of it, it's just all the, the words of the subject. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and, it was an interesting experiment. They basically took these big plastic panels out onto a lake and lined them up so that there, there were holes in them. And so the holes lined up along the, the lake and they shone a laser through them and if the earth was flat it should be able to go across this large distance with the laser going through every hole and hit the plaque at the end but uh they they finally got their whole experiment worked out and they turned on the laser and he goes ah 
I don't, I don't see anything. Are you sure? Are you sure it's on? Are you sure it's getting this far? And, uh, then they say, well, lift it up above your head and it shows up on the reading. And that's how they end the movie is, ah, interesting. interesting. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a really cool experiment that really shows. Yeah. You know, because in order oops. to get those three in a line. Yeah, it was hard for me to picture it in my head when I was listening to the Ross and Carrie episode, because mm. Ross was out there with them. And seeing it on the screen made it make much more sense. Yeah, the now. visuals were good. I just needed more time to parse them, but I'm also really tired. So <laughs> did anybody get the name of that guy? Which the blonde, guy? The blonde one, the one who was banned from the conference. Matt Boylan or Math Powerland. Oh, right, Math Powerland. Not to be confused with Powerland in Winnipeg on Marion Avenue. <laughs> <laughs> He's the guy who claims to have invented the Flat Earth movement. Yeah, he, I made Flat Earth. I made Flat Earth. He takes full credit for it, whether it is deserved or not, and he makes sure everybody knows that. Um, there are schisms within the Flat Earth movement, as there are shocking. in almost any movement of more than five people. Right. No. But he's... So Three can get along if two of them are dead. <laughs> <laughs> What's and, that make us? <laughs> well, Jem doesn't believe in free will, so he doesn't count. That's true. <laughs> he was very intense. He was your classic conspiracy theorist shouting into a camera making videos guy, but it was it was to a different level. Yeah, Laura Laura was sitting on the couch beside him and I could feel you kind of visibly recoil every time like that man needs help. Somebody get him help. Uh, he does. He yeah. he really did. You know, he was he was like that. They gave an example of some of the things that he was doing, but it was that high it, like super intense CIA is watching me. I've got to wear a tinfoil hat kind of rhetoric. I was really worried for the unnamed woman sitting on the couch behind him playing on her phone while he was doing his YouTube rants. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know who she is. It, it was very uncomfortable. And you just, just looking at him physically he seems like somebody who's like hasn't had enough sleep and maybe isn't eating well. And I'm not trying to project anything, but it's just kind of like, I think you're not okay. Yeah. I'm uh, concerned about you because yeah. you, you just all of the these factors together are maybe you should go talk to Mark Sargent's mom. But he doesn't like Mark Sargent. And actually, he he refused to appear. Yes. He appeared via archival footage in this documentary, but he refused to appear and to be interviewed uh, in the documentary unless they agreed to uh, a few stipulations. stipulations, including that he get 12 percent of the return and $5,000. Uh, yeah. And front. like a, a whole bunch of money up front, thousands of dollars, and that the documentarians would admit that Mark Sargent is a CIA operative. No, um, no, no. He's a secret Warner Brothers executive. Oh, yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. That, that was, was the thing. Weird. Secret there was, Warner Brothers executive. There was a, a clip from a video yeah. where he was yelling about how Mark yeah. Sargent is yeah. secret Warner Brothers. Appear... Warner Brothers, it's Warner. I'm like, really? Of all the companies, Warner Brothers? <laughs> That's all, folks. There's a, a title card that just sort of laid out all of these demands. And then, uh, you know, the words just fade in. We were not able to meet these demands. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Very good use of the uh, title card there. Yeah. Anybody have any other notes that they wrote down? I wrote down, this is sun or something, and don't know where I was going with that one. Oh, the sun and the Little moon are, are lights that are hung in the sky or something They didn't like really that. get into that as much as I thought they were going to. Like, they, they didn't talk as much about the actual theory. You know, they didn't get into what they believe as much just how they think they believe it but mm. they had some beautiful models and yeah. they, they had organite 
Yes, they had a guy who actually made these beautiful models on there, and uh, like this guy made a giant coffee table and lots of clocks and fancy watches. May I read from his website? If you must. Organite is a substance made of resin, metals, and quartz that balances and harmonizes bioenergy, otherwise known as organ, chi, or prana. It just goes into the whole how the flat earth is the center of the web of conspiracy theories. Yeah. We heard everything from anti-vax to... Did we hear any hollow earthers? No. No, I think those two would be mutually... Uh, mutually. <laughs> you never know. There could be like a cave underneath. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's something that I've always wondered. I guess because they don't believe in spaceships they they can't answer the question but it would be i i would like to know what they think is like around the edge yeah what's out there you know a lot of them believed in a firmament but some of them believed in like an infinite plane and some seemed to think that there were actual other bodies in the sky but if those were also discs what are the odds that they would never be seen edge on? Mm. Maybe that's what galaxies are. Yeah. Well, galaxy well, brain but, moment but right there. But the firmament isn't transparent. Uh, well, I, like, I don't know which which version of the firmament that they, they believe in, but traditionally the firmament was, like, opaque, but the stars were holes in the firmament through which right. the light of God That's not what through. they were referring no. to, though. For yeah, them, no, it's like a physical dome. Yeah, yeah, but, and but what I'm so, saying so is they don't had... all believe in the firmament. Yeah, yeah. There's a so few, some yeah, of them versions. seem to think that there are actual celestial bodies, and I was just wondering if those were also disks. Yeah. Yes, yes, they do. Oh, somebody did mention galaxies. that. Yeah, but why would why would we always see them facing us? So from the perspective of two of those things, they would be facing each other. Well, of course, Earth is the center of the universe. Yeah, so of course, can, yeah. But yeah, like I, I do want to know, know what's underneath the Earth. Like it's all a CIA plot. That's like, how it, they're all facing us. Is it like <laughs> you see all the roots of the trees dangling off the you know at the bottom? Uh, oh, it's that... got to be much deeper than that. We still have oil and shit. Yeah, yeah. So like, <laughs> so what, what is the theory? The flat Earth theory of gravity. That's something that I've always wondered. They made a point of saying, "Oh, he think he who should not be named thinks he can refute by just drop refute gravity by just dropping a microphone." You can't do that. I'm like, okay. So what's your answer? They never provided anything. Yeah, like there are at least two reasons that I can think of that they can't have the same theory of gravity that we do. I mean, one of the re- like the reason that celestial bodies are spherical is uh, due to gravitational effects. That's what Ashwin does for a living. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and universal acceleration. They think we're all we're just accelerating up. And that's what's pushing everything down. Oh, oh, that's great. I love it. So so we're just we're just on an elevator that never stops. Yes. <laughs> now is it Wonka Vader or Beautiful. is it like looking out the front of the Millennium Falcon or what are we doing here? There there is a flat earth wiki I would like to bring your attention to that I found oh, this goody. answer on. <laughs> <laughs> oh good. Wiki.tfes.org. I really, really want to see the edit wars in those comments. Put it in the show notes here. <laughs> Universal acceleration asserts that the Earth is accelerating upward at a constant rate of 9.8 meters per second squared. Well, there you go. So, wait, okay. No, it's... A- <laughs> Hold oh, no. on. What it, is, done? <laughs> it is accelerating... Hold on. No, it, it's accelerating at a constant rate? So that would mean that the velocity would have to be forever increasing. Mm -hmm. So they can't possibly believe in a universal speed of light unless light is also accelerating. I think, Jem, Because we would would be long past the speed of light by now if we're accelerating at 9.8 meters per second squared. They had a different theory of relativity. I I also think that they don't understand science in these terms enough to use the right one. (laughs) 
<laughs> I think no, that there's they have a, a lot of math in here about about the speed of light. So you know, go oh, read okay. this on your own time. Oh, okay, all right. <laughs> I I just thought else. it would be like a pretty simple. Oh, they said accelerating. No, at a they're constant, really into so. math, honestly. Like they talk a lot about all the different math that they think supports their theories, and it's a mess. But <laughs> well, I'll go read up on it, and then I'll be converted for next episode. I'm excited. Okay. This might be the end of the podcast, guys. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> You get your lives back. So do we. (laughs) Sorry, KO'd. (laughs) I think one of the best parts of the documentary was when they had uh, a speaker at the conference talking about how the flat earthers really are just scientists who are curious about the world and want to answer their own questions, but they didn't quite get the science education that they needed yeah. to to see past some of these conspiracy theories and that instead of condemning them and mocking them, we should be trying harder to... I guess, make sure that this doesn't happen to the next generation. And that's a lot of the interviewees echoed similar mm-hmm. sentiments coming at it from different perspectives, too. It was a very compassionate film. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of the one of the things that I really liked about it. Yeah, And I, I like that framing of it that like these people are very curious and they, they want to have answers to their questions. They're just kind of missing the mark. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They're willing to put the work in. They're willing to put time and so much in. time so much time and that it's their paradigm that they're in is not conducive to further learning. Everyone wants to understand their world. Everyone wants to fit in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And some people can do it in traditional society and some people need to find their own little group. Yeah, the the central themes were community and questions. I think that's something that probably listeners of this show can get behind. With that done, uh, we (laughs) wanted to get back to a segment that we used to do uh, and ask everybody, what are you reading today? Or or what are you, you know, not everybody reads lots of books. What are you enjoying lately? Jim. Oh, in terms of reading, I have been uh, mostly tearing through the Exam Crackers MCAT prep textbooks. It's six of them, and uh, they're very long, uh, although not as long as they could be, I guess. Uh, although I started with the ninth edition and there are lots of errors in them. Hmm. There was like, what, what do they say about the of, diaphragm? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, uh, I recommend the 10th edition, which I now have. I also have been listening to an audiobook of, uh, from exam crackers from like uh, the, the mid to late aughts. Uh, and that is very not good. Lots of shock jock humor that does not hold up well. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's very bad. Um, but it is, uh, you know, useful study material, I guess. Uh, I, I did uh, recently uh, finish reading the uh, novel Alice Isn't Dead by Joseph Fink based on mm. the podcast, and I thought it was very good. I loved the podcast. I did miss some of the... The novel was much more focused on the main story and had less of the sort of uh, Monster of the Week episodes uh, in it. Uh, so I, I missed I missed some of my favorite bits, but I understand why the story got focused and distilled down the way that it did for the novel. It was probably the right choice. And yeah, uh, and then I've been bouncing
bouncing back and forth between some other things. I'm probably going to reread Name of the Wind um, again <laughs> with the TV show in the works. Uh, I also, I've been playing the video game Outer Wilds, which I highly recommend. It is, you're like uh, a lonely explorer in this, like, solar system, and you're trying to solve a mystery, and there's some timey stuff some time stuff involved uh and it's very like it makes me feel things you know it's 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 got like this kind of melancholy warmth to it is the way i describe it the music is so good ko told me that i was more right than you about destiny and there are definitely spaceships so there okay another correction from last month (laughs) (laughs) i never said there aren't spaceships i said that you don't drive any spaceships well you i said you zoom around and you said no there are no spaceships i no i did i edited the episode i know what i said Yeah. Anyway, Laura, there, what are, you, there are yeah. lots of Gem, spaceships. Gem, you just you missed the fact that the liver them. was above the, the diaphragm. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> lighthearted. <laughs> this is okay. the lighthearted end of the segment, not the end of the podcast where we all go away. Okay, is anybody else reading anything? <laughs> Laura, Laura, what are you enjoying these days? <laughs> Making fun of her husband. <laughs> <laughs> you don't enjoy things anymore? No. You should I get don't. help for that. I know. It's a true story. I am. Life is very busy and I don't get a lot of time to read. I know I mostly read work-related things. Podcasts. TV. Quite like the Sigma Nutrition podcast. It is quite fun. Not fun. Fun is a bad word for it, but it's very informative. <laughs> Can be a very good listen and a lot of topics that are interesting to me. So that's one that I've been listening to a lot. The thing that I'm into right now is I just finally, I've been wanting to, but I just finally got into a local artist called Begonia. She's amazing. If you haven't heard her, you need to go listen to her. She is fantastic. What kind of music is it? I'm very bad at categorizing types of music, but her voice has the qualities of Adele and that kind of singing style. You compared her to Lady Lamb as well? The the vocal qualities, the style is different from Lady Lamb, but she's got that really full, robust kind of voice, and she's just really fantastic. Nice. We also finally finished Veep. Mm, I've heard good things. Love that show. Yeah, it's great. Those characters are so, so well drawn. <laughs> Watching them bounce off each other and just be the worst, very enjoyable. Lauren? Well, I'm not reading anything right now because I have to renew my library card and I'm not going anywhere near the Millennium Library while it's all locked down. Yeah. So I actually have to get to a library that's not right beside my office. So all those books are locked up away from me right now. I'm reading the website Ask a Manager. Mm. Mm-hmm. I haven't heard of this. Oh, it's website. a really yeah, good advice really column. I think I've read some stuff, actually. She's been, she's been doing it for, for years. It's people write in with management questions or just basically interaction with other people in the office kind of questions. In the last week or so that I've been taking a look at it. It's helped me change my perspective in the office. <laughs> yeah. Uh, another advice columnist that I really enjoy is Captain Awkward. And yes. uh, she refers to Ask a Manager a lot for HR and uh, what do I do about my office mates microwaving fish type questions? <laughs> or how do I fire somebody without absolutely devastating them? Mm-hmm. That kind of thing. Yeah. Lots of good stuff. Yeah, that's good. That's great. How about you, Angela? Uh, I am a little bit stalled out in my book series right now, but I've been really enjoying it. It is The uh, Night Runners, and it is a series that is fairly old by Lynn Flewellen or something ridiculous. Well, she's not <laughs> ridiculous, just because it rations vowels like they're made of gold. <laughs> 
it is the uh, the Night Runner novels by Lynn Flueling. And the, I guess, a little bit of a spoiler, but it's the reason that I read them. The uh, main characters are, you know, rogues, thieves, spies, and they're totally gay for each other. And it's amazing. So uh, <laughs> queer, high fantasy, love it. One thing I forgot to mention when we were talking about the documentary, Patricia Steer, super into Morrissey. Like, oh way yeah, into Morrissey. Mm, yeah, that's, came not, up that's the not a good look. Yeah. Meet his murder, but he's still an asshole. Uh, since it's Pride Month, I would also like to mention the podcast Nancy uh, from WNYC Studios. They are uh, a podcast that uh, explores all kinds of angles on LGBT life. And their most recent episode as of today, June 7th, <laughs> is uh, about sex ed and getting good sex ed when you're queer, which is really hard. Mm-hmm. They interview a teen uh, woman who is standing up in her school district for decent sex ed when they're trying to implement all these horrible changes. And they talk about how uh, going to a program called Our Whole Lives or OWL really changed her life and introduced her to the fact that, you know, she could change her pronouns and she could be who she was inside. And uh, since I am a trained owl educator that was a really feel-good time Mm. for me when i when she was like yeah i went to this program and i didn't think it was going to be good my mom was forcing me to go and it was called owl and i was like yay (laughs) (laughs) and i think everyone should put their kids into owl because your local uu church will accept any children from the community to take this amazing sex ed program that your schools are not offering and we know from what we speak ashland teaches owl and religious exploration and as of like Earlier this month, I am now the president of the Unitarian Universalist Church of Winnipeg. Oh, wow. Yay, congrats! <laughs> Congratulations. Whoops. <laughs> I put my hand up. Mm. Now I yeah. run a church. Your, uh, <laughs> your skeptical podcast is now being <laughs> co-edited by the president of a church. <laughs> the most skeptical of churches, though. Pretty much. Yeah. You uh, looked like you remembered a podcast. I have a really hard time remembering things that I enjoy. <laughs> I was uh, I was wondering why you hadn't mentioned what what do you think I'm going to say? Uh, gastropod? No, no. I ran through a lot of their back catalog, and so it only comes out every two weeks. And it's a good it's a good Wednesday when it comes out. Let me tell you, every two but, weeks they can do it twice a month. Yeah, yeah. Gastropod. That's okay, but gastropod. Okay, gastropod is amazing. If you like food and you like culture and you like history and you like understanding the political and social and Ooh. context of food and why it is, you will love this episode. I like these things. It is you will like this show. Like they do a really great job of always pointing out how colonialism screwed things up, yeah, everything, and how power and privilege play into all sorts of stuff there. Occasionally on the nutrition side of stuff, they make claims like you know, well, butter is obviously better. Mm. So they do a little bit of that kind of stuff, but there's so much good stuff. So gastropod, yes, is amazing. Listeners might not have the context for for your opinion on that topic as a dietitian. I'm a dietitian. (laughs) No, no, no. But but I mean, like you said, you repeated the fact that they say butter is better, but you did not express an opinion on that opinion. It's a long one, and I'm not going to be a gem. So, <laughs> also, I'm pretty sure we've covered it on the show before. So, just listen to our entire back catalog, and you'll come across it eventually. <laughs> all, all I meant is that in the culinary world, it is very common to be like, and I'm not painting everybody with this brush, but it is a very common thing to be like, well, butter is obviously better, and they go into the natural trope with those kinds of things, right. and so. 
That is all. Um, Gastropod is great. But no, the one that I have been listening to recently that is great is called The Double Shift. And it's a really great mm. – um, it's, it's really excellent. It is well-produced. And it is a podcast about mothers, but it is not about parenting and it's not about their children. It is about mothers and their experiences, typically working mothers and, and yeah. how that plays out in life. Two of the episodes in different ways talk about the creator's – challenges in getting this podcast made and getting anybody to carry this podcast. Mm. Because when it wasn't about kids or parenting, they said, oh, no one's going to listen to that. Mm. And, you know, about the motherhood experience. And and it, so they go through that and they go through all sorts of uh, episodes, including one about mothers who work in the legalized brothels in Nevada mm-hmm. and their experience of motherhood and working and and all of that. So it's well produced. It's uh, well done. It's the creator shares a lot of her raw personal experience with things, which I really appreciate. And uh, it is really it's good listening. The first season just ended and uh, I think it's eight or 10 episodes long. So go check that out. Awesome. So that's a wide variety of stuff for our <laughs> listeners to check out. Yeah. Uh, what are we talking about next month, Jim? Oh, I'm not doing next month's show. I'm <laughs> no, studying for the can't. MCAT. He can't. <laughs> Shit, what are we talking about next month, Ashley? <laughs> next month, we'll be back with more exciting content. <laughs> <laughs> Stay tuned. Mystery show. <laughs> Trans rights or human rights. Happy Pride Month, everyone. All right. Good night, everyone. Good night. Good night. Life, the Universe, and Everything Else is produced by Jem Newman and Ashlyn Noble, with mix and tech production by Jem Newman. If you want to support the show, the best way to do that is with a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, or by sharing an episode with a friend. Original music is produced by Ian James, and this episode was edited by Lauren Bailey. Lauren Bailey